we want you after our gathering on Sundays to spend time together and let the word move outside of these four walls into homes or into restaurants. Talk about it, discuss it, encourage one another with it. By God's grace, he cultivated that atmosphere here early on. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. A few years ago, Christian artist Matthew West released an album titled Into the Light. On that album was a song called Do Something. The lyrics of the chorus go like this. On this episode of the Level Paths podcast, a pastor who has been and is doing something. Jason McClanahan is the pastor at Randolph Street Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia. When he arrived at Randolph Street, he and the people there embarked on a mission to revitalize the church. From that revitalization came a ministry that God is using to attack a crippling Appalachian crisis. Here's Rex Howe. Welcome back to Level Pass Podcast. We are here to encourage, equip, and affirm people who are in Christian ministry in Appalachia. I'm here with my brother and partner in Level Pass Ministry. Matt, how are you, brother? Rex, I'm doing well. It's good to connect with you. It's good to be back on the podcast. Today, we've got Jason McClanahan. Jason is the pastor of Randolph Street Baptist Church. He leads a ministry there called Hope for Appalachia. Jason is a nitro boy. He is thoroughly Appalachian, and he is a man who's committed to the gospel. And so, Jason, it's good to connect with you today. Thank you, Matt, and I appreciate you having me on here. I have to make a correction right up front. I'm a polka dot. I'm not a nitro. It's pretty serious stuff around here, so get that right. I'm sorry. For some reason, <laughs> I had in my mind that you played baseball at Nitro, so but you played baseball at Polka High School. That's exactly right, yeah. So, Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. Grew up, as you noted, grew up in Appalachia. Grew up right here uh, about 30 minutes outside of Charleston, West Virginia. Played baseball in college. Was converted during those college days. Was led to Christ. I met a girl through a blind date. Was actually the, the niece of my college baseball coach. We had a little bet on our team who was bold enough or stupid enough, one of the two, to ask her out on a date. I took up the bet. Asked her out on a date, and she led me to Christ about a month and a half later. Since that time, completed my degree there at West Virginia State University, went on to seminary, moved to Virginia Beach in 1997, did my MDiv work at what is now called Virginia Beach Theological Seminary, left seminary in 2000, graduated, moved to Columbus, Ohio to plant a church in a suburb just outside of Columbus. While at Columbus, uh, in Columbus, I furthered my education, did a demon work at Master's Seminary to focus in expository preaching, completed that degree in 2008 or so. Married that gal that led me to Christ. Her name is Ginger. We have been married almost 27 years now, three children, uh, two of them married off. And my last one is a sophomore in college, just finishing her sophomore year of college. 
So we're in a very different phase of life now as empty nesters and been pastoring at Randolph Street since 2007. We've been here almost 15 years. So you were in college, which I share that similarity with you. I was converted while I was studying chemistry at Ohio University. What was your sort of vocational path before you came to know the Lord? Baseball. Uh, two years of college with a GPA of 1.7 because I was there to play baseball and that was it. After I was converted, didn't get smarter, but just focused and had new, a new zeal, new passion of life. Went from that 1.7, 2.0 student up to almost a 4.0 student and switched over to social work. So I have a Bachelor of Science in social work, which really helped me. Not that I had any great plans at the time. I went to my advisor and said, I'm going to seminary. Point me toward the academic degree that gets me a, a degree as fast as I can. And that was social work but became involved in some really good nonprofits during those days that has served me years later. So when I came in contact with Jason McClanahan, he was a church planter revitalizer at Randolph Street Baptist Church. I was ordained at Mount Calvary Baptist Church, which is just across town from Randolph Street. These are two really sister churches. There were sister churches in like belief both at the time independent Baptist churches, but not independent in the sense of being mad about that, but they were independent and just not affiliated with any other type of gospel movement. And both of them were struggling. And so, Jason, could you give us a little bit of background, the connection, how you came to Randolph Street? Sure. As I mentioned, uh, we were church planning in Columbus. I always had this idea I was going to plant two churches, make all my mistakes at the first one, and have the perfect church in the second one. So five years into church planting, we, I say we, I began looking and thinking through where I was going to plant that second church. Our elders at our church in Columbus, my wife, uh, they were much slower to come on board with that idea. Uh, so we waited some time. 2006 rolled around early 2007. We kind of came back to that question of planting another church. Uh, we were looking all over the United States, and while doing that, on Reformed Theological Seminary's website, popped up a notice that there was a church in Charleston, West Virginia, looking for a church planter to replant this particular work. So uh, that was early 2007. One thing led to another. Talked with the leaders here, came down, met with a variety of families, and September 2007, we moved here to what, in their terms, to replant this church. At that time, it was an 85-year-old church. On their end, it was quite the statement for them to put out the idea of replanting this work. Randolph Street's not in a great part of town. It's in a city that's in steep decline. When Jason went there, it clearly had to be a call from God to come there because the church that I served, I was on staff, and we were a church in decline, a church in deep struggle, and Randolph Street was in more struggle than we were. We, in fact, had a couple families who moved from Randolph Street across town to come to uh, that church. And then Jason came and God's blessings just started to be evident. Um, Jason, you really haven't seen explosive growth there. You've seen steady growth. What has gone into this process of replanting Randolph Street Baptist Church? This was a church that was born out of conflict. It was literally born out of conflict. And in the 1920s, the whole fundamentalist, modernist conflict that was raging in the American church 
that was the birth tom of Randolph Street. And through the years, this church faced a lot of difficulties. The, the decades preceding me was a church, and Matt, you've, you've alluded to it. It was a dying church because of conflict that existed within the church. So when I came here in 2007, there were good and godly people here. There were 20 to 25 folks. We've buried almost most of them since that particular time. We set our heart to this place, and we decided we were going to kind of bury ourselves here and, and really work to see Randolph Street become a healthy local church. So I was 33 years old. I really had no idea what I was doing when it came to replanting a church like this. So we, did, we just kind of tucked ourselves in here. And I began a series day one on ecclesiology and thinking through the doctrine of the church, thinking through more specifically polity and really worked through that for a four to six month period. In early 2008, the church voted unanimously, which they had not done, I don't know, in its entire existence, to rewrite the Constitution, implement what we think is a more biblical local church polity with a plurality of elders given to shepherding the church, deacons given to caring for the local church. And we just kind of buried ourselves in there. We wanted to shepherd these people well. We kind of stripped away all programs uh, at that particular time and really tried to grow from a healthy platform into a healthy local church. We just pinned our ears back in 2007, pushed in that direction. The Lord was kind in those early days. He added a number of young families, uh, good young families. And I taught through the, the ecclesiology, the polity thing for six or so months. But at the end of it, I was very pragmatic. I just looked at a people who were tired and weary of conflict and just said, hey, I'm, I'm 33 years old. You don't want a 33-year-old young man as the ultimate authority of this local church. They heard the biblical teaching, but when I said that, you know, they understood the wisdom behind the biblical teaching. And the Lord added to us, he, he brought some incredible leaders on, some men that we invested in early on who became elders of this local church. And we did nothing special. We just decided we were going to seek to be a biblical church to the best of our ability. And the Lord was kind in that, and He blessed us and added to us through the years in some incredible ways. Well, you know, Jason, you you made the statement that you did nothing special, and I think that in reality, being biblically faithful is something incredibly special, and that was evident. I remember being in the community and after church on Sundays. This is going to make me sound like a real creep, but after church on Sundays, going to local restaurants and the kind of the crew from Randolph Street would come in. This was after services, after you, you'd gathered together, after you'd heard the preaching of the word and the family element, the family of Randolph Street Baptist Church was very, very clear. And it was evident that God was using the preaching and the teaching of his word to draw this family together and, in, and indeed make them a family so I think that that is something that's incredibly unique. There's a lot of temptation to be program driven, a lot of temptation to kind of have the bells and whistles. But you said you really did something that many would believe to be counterintuitive. You stripped those things away and centered on the teaching of God's word. You're a man who has a doctorate of ministry in expository preaching from the Master's Seminary. You preach from a Spurgeon pulpit. And so clearly preaching has a big role. We just said to people, hey, we're, we're going to kill all the other gatherings for the time being. And we want you after our gathering on Sundays to spend time together and let the word 
move outside of these four walls into homes or into restaurants, talk about it, discuss it, you know, encourage one another with it. And again, by God's grace, he cultivated that atmosphere here early on. You know, for me personally, this is a selfish point, maybe. I know one day I'm going to stand and give an account to Christ for how I have shepherded this flock. That's been a driving, motivating factor for day one for me. I'm called to shepherd the flock that is among us. You know, First Peter 5, Acts chapter 20. That is where my time and energy is to be spent. And the word of God is central to shepherding the flock correctly and in a manner that will bring God glory and ultimately bring them to Christ's likeness. So for us, everything's centered around the word, whether it be the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word. You know, we implemented a liturgy here that from the first moment we began our gathering to the last amen, everything was going to be geared towards shepherding our people into the word of God with the gospel as, as kind of the centerpiece of it all. So whether it's songs, whether it's prayers, whether it's the reading of scripture, whether it's reciting confessions, everything we do, the preaching is geared towards shepherding our people with the word of God. We can do that all we want to without the spirit of God doing his work, nothing we do would work. <laughs> so there is a dependency in that. You know, we, we preach the word, but we earnestly seek the work of the spirit in and among our people with the proclamation of the word. We go through seasons, all of us do. Matt, you could speak to this. You know, some pastors do that for decades and they never see tangible fruit. Our primary aim is the glory of God. And when we proclaim the word faithfully, we are seeing God glorified. That's our highest aspiration. Everything else we want, but that's our highest aspiration to see God glorified. I think it's in Piper's book. He quotes Cotton Mather, one of the Mather guys early on, one of the early Puritans, you know, the the great design of the office of a Christian preacher is to restore the throne and dominion of God into the hearts and minds of men. And we just kind of laid hold of that and said, that is, that's the grand design of the office of the Christian preacher is to proclaim the word of God for the glory of God. There's no magic sauce there. The Lord was just conned and he blessed that. And I, I say that with a recognition that the next 15 to 20 years of Randolph Street may look very differently, but our call here is to be faithful and that ministry. My pastoral experiences in churches with a long history and almost always you go in, you start to get a feel for the environment and you find out that they have accumulated programs and never ended any. We stripped down everything except for the Sunday morning gathering. We took everything apart and began with that platform and said, this is the most important 90 minutes of the week. And we're going to pour all of our focus here and let everything bleed out of that. We wanted to grow things organically. We wanted to identify where God was working and then come along beside that and provide structure or help to see that continue to grow. So, and the folks here, by God's grace, they were tired of conflict. They had prayed for years for a healthy local church. When we came in with that kind of focus, they were ready for it. You know, there were some challenges there early on because we made such significant changes. But for the most part, the folks here, they bought in, they invested. That drive of the centrality of the Word of God is evident. It's been some years ago, but I had the privilege of being a part. They're just coming to worship with you in a gathering. And it was evident. It's evident in songs that are sung. It's evident in the prayers that are prayed. It's evident in the way 
the songs are led. It's evident in the centrality of preaching. And unfortunately, that is so foreign. There's such temptation to say that it's Jesus Christ who builds his church. And then yet we set up a carnival and Christ is not central in the preaching of the word. Christ is not central in building the church because we've employed the methods of the world and and the methods of entertainment and seeing that come to pass. Jason, I know that you've had some incredible ministries there. One of them is the Academy of Biblical and Theological Studies. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Early on in our ministry, we had a lot of young men coming who were interested either in pastoral ministry or at least local church leadership. So we partnered up. We have an educational partnership with Southern Seminary. Brian Vickers has been very instrumental in this for us. Uh, We host here in Charleston 10 classes over a period of five years that can transfer into Southern Seminary, their Master of Divinity program. For us, it was looking at it, and you guys know this well because you're in Appalachia. We wanted to take responsibility for theological training here in Appalachia. Most young guys, when they leave Appalachia, they don't come back. So when they go off to Southern or to RTS or whatever seminary might be, they, they rarely return to Appalachia. So a part of this for us was saying, hey, we, we need to provide something here because Appalachia needs theologically trained and sound pastors here. So what we do with these 10 classes, we bring in a variety of professors from Southern. We brought them from uh, Ligonier, from RTS, from Southeastern, from Midwestern professors. They come in, they teach these classes for us, but it brings theological training into our local church. Now, we're in the midst of developing a, a little network of churches here in Appalachia, and that effort of theological training, we're hoping to spread that out more into various areas of central Appalachia, especially you know, the reality is most pastors in Appalachia are not theologically trained, uh, but they're good and godly men, and, and many of them are incredibly gifted. So our goal is to come along beside them and, and just be of any help we can be to assist them in their ministry in their local churches. Jason, you said that you're developing a network of churches. Could you tell us a little bit about that? This has kind of grown out of just relationships we've developed over the last five, six, seven years. These are men down in southeastern Kentucky, southern West Virginia, central West Virginia. It's five or six churches. We're just kind of in the early stages of getting this thing launched. Appalachia can be a very discouraging place to minister. It can be a very difficult place to minister. So the network's kind of bound together to encourage one another, support one another, pursue training together just to stay fresh in our thinking about pastoral ministry, systematic theology, biblical theology. We're trying to church plant together, uh, church revitalization. We've partnered with a missions organization to provide theological training in Belize over a period of three years. We're going to be sending three teams a year down into Belize to provide theological training for pastors who lack access to sound theological training. It's kind of a varied approach, if you will, to a network. But, and it's, it's right here in Central Appalachia with pastors that are we're doing really a really good work in some really difficult places. Why do you think that ministry in Appalachia is so difficult? Well, I think a variety of reasons. One, church history in Appalachia has been just riddled with poor theology. So from a basic understanding of the gospel to preaching, to what, a, what, what the church is, I mean, historically in Appalachia, there's been a lot of poor thinking in those particular areas. And then then you add to that the hopelessness that's kind of inherent within Appalachia due to the economy and 
obviously the opioid issue that has destroyed so many communities and families. You put all that together, it's a hard place to pastor. With that said, there's amazing people in Appalachia. It's a great place to live. The people here are loyal, they're friendly, they're polite, at least most parts of Appalachia. You know, it's an enjoyable place to pastor, just a hard place. Well, Jason, it's this has been yet again another example of just seeing the great work that God's doing across Appalachia. And that's one of the things that we want to accomplish with the Level Pass podcast is really just to bring to the surface, help folks be aware, because there can be great discouragement in pastoring in Appalachia. And there can be a sense of that you're on your own here as far as brothers are concerned and knowing what God's doing across Appalachia is not just, we, we don't want just to be an encouragement, but we want others to recognize you're not on your own as you serve and as you pastor in Appalachia. If you ever find yourself neck deep in ministry and feeling intense pressure and isolation, like Dr. Matt said, you are not alone. Even though you can't see your fellow brothers and sisters who are in the trenches, they are there with you. Toward the end of this episode, you'll find out how to connect with the Appalachian Ministry Institute. It is here to help you. When we come back, how Randolph Street Baptist Church launched an attack on the opioid crisis in West Virginia. The Tri-State Bible College Fall 2022 semester begins on Monday, August 29th. TSBC offers a variety of modalities, including residential classes, resident modular classes with Zoom integration, and distance education online. Generous donors to Tri-State Bible College have made three new scholarships available, the Bivocational Scholarship, the Philemon Scholarship for Loan Relief, and the Koinonia Scholarship for Matching Funds. Apply today at tsbc.edu. So you mentioned earlier that Randolph Street is located in a difficult area of our city. It's a poor community, a lot of individuals battling addiction. So early in our ministry here, 2009, 2010, as the church grew in this particular community, we began ministering to folks who are who are battling addictions. Uh, some of it became very personal to us, even families within our church that had children who were wrestling through this this difficult battle. So. Over the years, you know, as we ministered to these individuals, we began to recognize, hey, they're, from a distinctly Christ-centered perspective, we need to step into this particular issue and see what we can do. So around 2014, 2015, me and just a, a good dear friend here at our local church, uh, who's now one of our deacons, we were standing in his yard just weeping over an individual that we were trying to serve and care for who was throwing his life away over the addiction issue. And, and really that was kind of where Hope for Appalachia was born. Soon thereafter, we put together a 501c3 nonprofit called Hope for Appalachia. And we opened a residential program uh, for men who were battling addiction or have been through some kind of recovery program to help them kind of transition back into being responsible men in the context of family, community, 
And our, and our ultimate aim was to be disciples of Christ who would bring glory to God through being faithful men in the context of the church, community, family. So we opened that in 2016, if I remember correctly. That transitional program lasted for about 24 hours because we had men showing up on our doorstep in active addiction, wanting help. So from 2016 to 2020, 2021, we served over 75 men in that program, just came along beside them. And really our our goals were pretty simple. We wanted to show them that we loved them, that we were going to be there with them, support them, help them, encourage them, love them. And we wanted them to know the gospel. And so 75 plus men went through our program. It was five or six of the most difficult years of my life as we stepped into these lives and and tried to serve and help and care for these men. In 2020, we lost uh, our program director. He, He passed away suddenly, and that really set us back. And then COVID came along, and we began identifying some other needs right here within our community in southern West Virginia of children what we would look at and say with our at-risk children, but who were suffering as a result of the addiction crisis. And so we kind of made a hard turn in 2020, 2021. We developed what's called our Children's Resource Center that steps in to serve children who are suffering because of the effects of the opioid issue within our communities. We've partnered with other organizations. We provide essential resources to children in homes of active addiction. Through a variety of other relationships, we have other ministries that's kind of been born out of that. Right now, Hope for Appalachia is kind of taking on um, a new flagship program for us. It's called the Harbor House, and it is a program that's geared toward uh, women who are pregnant, battling addiction. And so we are partnering with Charleston Area Medical Center and their maternity health program. We're going to provide the residential component. They're going to provide the uh, medical addiction treatment for these ladies. So this is a major effort that we're involved in right now, uh, working on, but we're really excited about it. Being pregnant is difficult within itself, but women who are pregnant and battling addiction, and there's a lot at stake and uh, there's a lot of hurdles, a lot of difficulties within that. So we're going to come along beside them in partnership with CAMC and and try to serve these women again from a distinctly Christ-centered perspective to speak the gospel into this particular issue in our community. Kind of connecting maybe the the whole podcast in a way, hearing about your ministry at the church and then extended through Hope Appalachia. So I know Hope Appalachia is like a separate entity from the church. It's Mm -hmm. its own entity, right? So this is a bit fresh for me listening to uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on preaching and preachers, (laughs) talking about the centrality of preaching and how it does or doesn't connect to the social problems in our world, which is, I think, especially in Appalachia, this is, we feel this every single day. How is my ministry being faithful to what Christ's commission is, but every day worrying about the social problems around me? Because I know like when you started your church, you stripped everything down to preaching. And now through God working in the church, you've been able to extend out a bit and focus on what you feel like God's called. So what, what's the relationship between the primary and the secondary? Well, it's a fine line because it's easy to allow the secondary to distract you from the primary. So we want to always make sure that what we are about as a local church is what is emphasized in the New Testament scriptures. And that's, that's our call. So that component 
being a healthy local church is a is a constant effort we're striving for here. And I'm convinced that establishing a plurality of elders who are who sense a calling to shepherd and to care for this local church encourages us to continue in that direction of being a healthy church, a God-centered, Christ-focused healthy church. With the preaching of the word, what you hope as a pastor is that you see fruit from that. You see people who hear the word proclaimed and then it moves into their lives and begin to, begins to affect their lives and what they're doing and what they're focused on and what they're energetic for and what they're giving toward. And, and really, that's kind of what Hope for Appalachia grew out of, the preaching of the word, what the word calls us to as Christians. And then in our specific context, and, and every local church is going to be different, uh, every community is different, but in our specific context, to see the needs that were around us and then asking the question, okay, how do we speak Christ into that? For us, it was the opioid issue and looking around and seeing the need that existed and us sitting here with the gospel and saying, okay, how can we speak the gospel into this? And how can we live out the gospel, declare the gospel, demonstrate the gospel in this particular issue? And so, but there is that tension. You never want the secondary to overwhelm the primary or to distract you from the primary. And it's, that's always a temptation. It's always a struggle. But that's that's where I'm convinced a plurality of elders who sense that calling to shepherd the flock, we, we keep the primary than the primary. You have been a person, as I've listened to your story, who has ministered and continued your education at the same time. That's most of our students at Tri-State Bible College. And honestly, I think for many of us, that's the Appalachian story. We, we get into ministry usually first, and then we think, oh, I, might, I, might, I may need some training. What encouragement would you give to those who are on that path that are still in their education, still ministering at the same time, and are just, just tired? What kind of encouragement would you give to them? Well, you'll never regret education, equipping, putting more tools in the toolbox, I look at ministry and I'm 48 years old now. I've rounded second, probably halfway to third base by now. But I still look and say, I've got 20, Lord willing, if he gives me a sound mind and healthy body, I've got 25 plus years in front of me. So anything I can even gain now, you know, I want to do so because I'm trying to think long-term. I'm trying to think the big picture, you know, tools I can put in my toolbox now that will serve the people of God for the next two, two and a half decades. So, so pastors out there now who are in training and they're pastoring local churches, just keep the big picture in mind. I mean, you're looking at 20, 30, 40, 50 years of ministry. You'll never regret pursuing training that helps you be a faithful expositor of the word and a faithful pastor in the church. You'll never regret that. It's hard. And, and on the side of that, no one should ever stop training. Mm-hmm. No pastor. This little network we have, there are several pastors who have very little theological training. Every Zoom session we have, every in-person meeting we have, I learn from these guys. I learn about preaching. I learn about pastoring. I learn about how to counsel and how to shepherd people. Just because we get a degree does not mean our training, our education is complete. We are called to shepherd the flock of God. It is the most important and serious task a person could ever aspire to. Training, education, equipping should always be on our table. Growing and learning how to better do that should always be a part of our lives. The seriousness with which you undertake the task of shepherding the flock of God has been evident 
we've seen in many places in church replants or church plants, it's almost like playtime and there's not a seriousness there, gravity. You know, I preach too from a replica Spurgeon pulpit and it's interesting. There's, there's an amount of seriousness that comes with standing in that pulpit, but more than that, there's a, a great amount of seriousness that comes as you open the word of God, that this isn't playtime, that it's not just devotional right. thoughts, but our responsibility is to explain God's word to his people and be faithful to that because there's going to be a time where we stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account by how we do that. And the hallmark of your ministry since coming to Randolph Street, I'm going to assume was the hallmark of your ministry before coming to Randolph Street was the centrality of the preaching of the word of God because it's in that that we recognize God is glorified and through the preaching of the word of God, he transforms lives, makes people more into the image of Christ, and he grows his church. That seems as though, unfortunately, to be a foreign concept today, and that's why this education matters. And that's why the preaching of the gospel, these gospel conversations, these gospel connections with others, with other believers matter. And so, Jason, thank you so much for your time. If you had a final word for the pastors out there struggling as they're serving, what would that final word be? Well, and to piggyback on what you just said there, it's about the glory of God. I mean, that's our question. What glorifies God? And, and everything falls out from that. It's not about what brings people to our church. It's, it's not about all of the sad things that it could be about. The ultimate question is what brings glory to God that drives us in the pulpit, that drives us into the hospitals and the care homes and shepherding the flock and discipling individuals. It's about the glory of God. I know that sounds so basic, but it is to be the central passion of our hearts and our lives. And you know what? When you stand in the pulpit and the glory of God is your passion, I'm convinced people will hear that by the work of the Spirit. People will hear that and they will find the deepest joy, the deepest comfort, the deepest peace of their lives when they behold the glory of God. It is what we are about. It's why we have been saved. And it is what we are called to as pastors to shepherd our people to see the glory of our great God. So be encouraged. You know, you, your calling is not to manipulate people or to be a salesman. Your calling is to exalt the glory of God. Stand in that pulpit week in and week out and proclaim the word of God for the glory of God. I'm a morbid kind of person. So I'm always thinking about what I'm going to regret when I'm on my deathbed. I don't want to get there and look back and regret not pursuing the highest aim of, of life. And the highest aim is to make God known, to make his glory known among the people, among the nations. That's what it is about. And that's what should drive us as pastors. Amen. Jason, thank you so much for your time. We're grateful for your ministry at Randolph Street and with uh, Hope for Appalachia. We're grateful for your passion to see God glorified in Charleston, West Virginia, and across the mountains of West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Rex.
Dr. Jerry Falwell used to say to Liberty University students, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. That idea was apparent from the beginning to the end of this podcast, from revitalizing a church to effectively making a difference in drug-addicted communities to encouraging pastors to keep learning and improving. Pastor Jason embodies what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, where he mentions their labor of love. The work they did was a manifestation of their love for Jesus Christ. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource, and no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamlin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email, matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. You have so many political and social positions controlling orthodox biblical teaching. There are people out there who they're willing to kind of split fellowship with people who they agree with on the Bible because they're suspicious that the guy doesn't hold eight out of ten of these particular cultural, political, social opinions that this other guy has. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.